This episode of Songwriter Stories is sponsored by Piano Wars. Piano Wars offers unique, high-energy entertainment featuring dueling pianos, sing-along, audience participation, and dance music. Find out more at pianowars.com. This is Greg Pope, and you're listening to Songwriter Stories with Dave Caruso. Singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, engineer, producer, and filmmaker Greg Pope is as capable with slash job titles as he is with slash pop chords and the slash of a time signature. Let's listen. Welcome to Songwriter Stories. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate it. You seem like someone who does it all. Do you write all the music and the lyrics and sing all the vocals, play all the instruments, engineer, record, and produce all your albums for the most part? I've done that for the last probably decade or so since Pop Monster. There's a few cases where I've had other people come in and play, but I I grew up playing drums and, and um, kind of moved over to other instruments mm-hmm. um, once I started joining bands um, because drummers are plentiful and things like bass players are not. And so 
and then I ended up singing singing background and then eventually singing lead. So uh, in bands that I was playing in at the time. So I do play multiple instruments and really do it more out of just a pragmatic reasons. It's just quicker for me if I've got the song idea and the arrangement that I want. Um, there's, you know, guys I know here locally in the Nashville area who are good friends and we've played together, you know, for years and, and uh, sometimes I have had them come over and play, but honestly, most of the time I'm just trying to finish the thing and get it done. And it's just quicker for me to go ahead and do it. And, and I enjoy that. I do enjoy that. So it's, it's a lot of fun. There's scheduling. Yes. There's payment. Yes. Uh, for, for something that doesn't have a huge payday anymore as it used to. That's right. Right. And there's also the fact that I talk a lot about this myself is that I love putting the puzzle together. And I love making each new puzzle piece, which is going to determine the puzzle piece that comes after it. If you let someone else in, you miss the joy of making that puzzle piece. And it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. I mean, obviously, it may seem control freakish, but uh, it's, uh, it feels really good to get it all together and, and say you did it all. Yeah. You know, when I was a young kind of musician coming along, I really admired um, people like Stevie Wonder, and then much later, um, Stuart Copeland, who had done the the Clark Kent uh, sort of punkish yep. version of of his stuff. And I remember reading that he played all the instruments on that, mm-hmm. and just really being fascinated by that. So it's always kind of been a fascination of mine. It's not quite the novelty these days that I think it once was. I think a lot of writers who who play, especially in the pop and rock world. Um, for instance, I, I may be wrong about this. I think Ben Queller plays a lot of instruments as well. Mm. It's it's pretty commonplace. It seems like to hear that people are uh, you know playing all the instruments. I do notice that you excel at it. Thank you. You seem to enjoy playing the instruments. It's uh, not just guitar, um, especially with like the melodic bass parts. But your drums have good feel and don't feel stocky. I mean, I'm a drummer. I grew up playing drums and really moved to other instruments later. Um, so drums is sort of a first love for me as a musician. Uh, so it's, I mean, I kind of have to, my drums aren't perfect. I, I kind of have to go back and get into shape before I actually start recording for real. But I, I very much enjoy playing drums. And uh, that that's probably a big reason that I I, you know, end up playing everything just because uh, I want to start with the drums and kind of add on. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Let's say you've decided to record a new album. When you start out recording the first song, 
Do you like to have less than 100% of the songs written so you can write a few new ones under pressure while you're in the headspace of that album? Or do you prefer to have all the songs prepared so you can concentrate on the recording process and the arranging and choose the best songs to release at the end? Typically, when, I, when I've decided, okay, I think there's the makings of an album here, I probably have six or seven what I would consider strong ideas. That is, they're fairly finished and arranged um, songs. And yes, I, I sort of leave some space open because the process of, of recording and, and coming up with parts for all those, somehow that tends to beget other songs. And a lot of times um, the new songs that come are written very quickly. And a lot of times they're the best, what I would consider some of the best things on the album. I sort of start with, with a huge pile of ideas. And, and like most writers, I'm constantly adding to, to that pile of ideas. And I, you know, I basically record things in my, into my phone these days. I used to use a cassette recorder, but um, I, I don't really have a schedule for albums. I simply come to a place where I feel like I've got six or seven ideas and that, that are going to be stuff I'd like to release. And, and I've kind of come from that from, you know, usually I'll sit down and say, well, okay, you know, let me just go through all these little voice recordings or, or ideas that I've had over the past couple of years. And I just sit there with a legal pad and I'll, I'll list out maybe 30 or 40. Um, I'll just listen through to everything. And if something strikes me, I'll write it down. And that, that I usually end up with a list of 30 or 40 things. And from that list, and I go through and listen again and try to hear, well, okay, there is, really is something here with this idea. So I'll asterisk it. You know? And then from that, just, I just try to keep winnowing down. So I've only got like five or six or seven you know, strong, solid ideas, and then try to start recording those. And as you know, and as most writers know, you know, something that you think is brilliant, you know, sometimes you, you start down the road and, and you get into the actual recording of it and you realize, oh, this, is, this isn't anything. It's not good. So you kind of move on. Um, but that's, that's a little bit of the process as far as like making an album. I mean, if I'm going to involve other musicians, I'll have an album's worth of tunes, you know the guy that usually plays drums on my stuff. When I have a drummer, I'll make these acoustic demos that are just vocals and acoustics. He likes to kind of interpret the drum parts himself and then, you know, come to me and say, here's what I have. And then he's super creative and we just kind of um, go through it. And if something's not really working, then we, we work on it. Great. After you've written some songs, what's typically your next step? Even though you do most of the work yourself, do you raise money or to cover costs beforehand or do you just go right to the studio, which I think is in your home? Yeah, my um, studio, I basically record in a bedroom. Um, it's not always been that way. I've done some albums recording in different rooms in my house and going to other people's homes to record. But the majority of the recording I do is, is in a bedroom. And it's my albums are what I would consider mid, mid to lo-fi uh, you know, endeavors. I mean, I'm, I'm learning as I go every time. Uh, and I think drums are the most challenging part of that. So yeah, I do it. I do it here. And I always start with, with drums for any song, just figuring out, uh, unless it's just going to be an acoustic song, 
Um, but typically I'm trying to, once I have it arranged and once I know what the song form is, and sometimes even if I don't quite know what the form is, I just sit down, uh, usually without a click and just play, you know, go ahead and mic the drums and get a good sound up and then go ahead and play the song, just sitting there at the drums, kind of playing through the song in my head. And I'll do a few takes until I feel like I've, I've got something with the drums that's really the heart of everything for what i do anyway in a rock or a power pop thing is is trying to get a decent drum track and then basically playing along with that drum track with guitar and bass and sort of you know sometimes there might be a little push in tempo in the choruses and i sort of have to figure out that drum performance and you know the drum part sometimes won't be perfect so i'm learning this drum performance as I play the other instruments and, and trying to make it sound cohesive and trying to make it feel like a live band, which I think is probably the hardest thing about playing all the instruments. Yeah, but you're doing a good job. That's, <laughs> that's what you're really good at. Thank you. The no click thing, I had read about it before, mm-hmm. but you don't use a click. Now, in your DAW... Pro Tools. Yeah, pro, so you're using Pro Tools. How do you proceed if you don't, you don't really have measures then? You don't have beat numbers or anything? It's just... No, I just... Um, I don't really operate that way uh, in, inside Pro Tools. I mean, I, I'm thinking of that digital DAW as simply, you know, a, a way of recording sound and... Um, layering sound is all it is to me i I, you know there there have been times when i have used to click i think i used it i just did a thing for this um xdc tribute that's coming out on future man oh nice can you tell me what song you got or no the song i did is a song called wake up off the big express which is a really weird little song I don't think it's weird, but I think most people would think it was a little odd. And I've always loved that song, but I, I used the click for that. So in that case, yes, I'm using the click from the DAW and um, laying down a couple of acoustic or or you know guitar tracks to sort of guide me, and then I'll sit down and play drums to that. But that that's not the way I prefer to do it if I'm working on my own stuff. The trick with with doing the drums first and not having a click is really finding the tempo of the song that feels good. Sure. So you do a take, and then I'll pull out the acoustic guitar and put the headphones on and sing through it with the drums just to make sure I'm somewhere in in the right tempo. You find yourself doing a lot of takes to, to get it just right? I learned that the hard way sort of early on when I was doing this, you know, around the time of probably recording Pop Monster was when I sort of figured out, like, I really need to figure out the tempos and, and make sure I've got those before I lay down the drums. Because on Pop Monster, I think there may have been a couple of tracks where I felt like they were too fast. There were some, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So it doesn't take much time anymore. Uh, it's something I sort of figure out. A lot of times I try to figure out before I even hit record. But, yeah, I, I enjoy doing it that way. I think it gives a more just live feeling to... Uh, I don't play all that well to a click. I can, but I tend to play a lot more conservatively on drums when I'm when I'm playing to a click. Are your keyboard and guitar parts and bass 
to what percent are they developed? Um, or is the song just melody and chords and tempo and style once the drums are down? Well, um, the, the songs as far as melody and chords and guitar parts and that sort of thing, I mean, I think every song is a little different. Most of that I've already figured out. I already have a picture of kind of how, it, how it's going to sound. Um, and some songs, you know, are based on a guitar riff. Mm-hmm. So really, I think with drums, what I'm trying to do is think, okay, what kind of drum part would go along with this? And then what is kind of the Greg Pope drum part? You know, like what's a little outside the box or what can I do slightly different? I I like to try different things and really try to find something that's not what someone would typically play. And sometimes that just, you end up in just sounding pretentious. And so you kind of go back to something um, maybe simpler and more straightforward so that's interesting you play the drum part knowing you have to make room for certain riffs and certain uh hooks yes i mean i'm playing to those as a drummer and and um you know those are kind of what comes first in my mind is is um what is this thing going to be like sonically you know is it going to be heavy is it going to have you know distorted guitars is it going to be layers of stereo guitars is it just going to be one lick that is played and then the vocals come in and how do the drums kind of support and accentuate that other stuff so starting with drums isn't necessarily a choice um, about creating this crazy drum part and then making everything fit that it's really more about um, just getting a live sound and and trying to let the drum part kind of flow. But as far as what the, what, what the notes are, what I'm actually playing, I'm sort of trying to tool that to the progressions and the, the guitar riffs and melodies and the feelings and the, the sort of dynamics of the actual song, if that makes sense. It does, but I think anybody who heard that you play drums first who didn't do that when they record would find it weird, like would say, how does that work? And then now, now it makes sense. I think really it just comes down to, you know, you're not just sitting down playing a beat. Well, here's the song and it's, it's, you know, a rock thing with a snare on two and four. And now I'm just going to play this beat for five minutes. It's really sitting down and playing a song. You're just playing the drum part of the mm-hmm. song. So, yes. you know, I rehearse and figure out what those drum parts are and, and play them over and over and try to have them pretty down before I, just the same as I would do if someone said, Hey, can you come play drums on my, my record? You know, um, to know what I'm going to do and, and then just memorize it and, and do it. Most people would put a guide track down first. That's what the difference is here. I think the thing there is, you know, you can do that, but then you're locked into a click and the, the concentration in my mind anyway, and this is just cause I'm not like a studio drummer, but what, what I'm concentrating on is staying with that guide track and staying with the click and not concentrating on like just, being in the song and and that I think just comes from not playing drums all the time. Like if I did play drums all the time and and worked at it harder and had more time to spend playing drums, I probably wouldn't feel limited um, by that click and that guide track. But I think not having that helps me feel a little freer and more creative with, with the drum parts. And you know, it's, it's, it's all digital. We can screw up as much as we want and go back and just record (laughs) over it, you know, and try again. Um, You're not burning tape or anything like that. So that's right. You mentioned budget, and I didn't really answer that. So I'll just say pretty much what I end up doing on my albums, this has been true pretty much since Pop Monster. 
the only money I really spend on my recordings other than drum heads and strings and that sort of thing is, um, is mastering. So I'm finding that what I make when I release an album will pretty much cover the next one as far as, as far as mastering and then some, so that that's kind of the money aspect of it. You know, it's not a lot of money, but, um, so far I've, I've not landed in debt. Now, you know, I know a lot of guys here in town who spend a lot of money on their records, you know, and they sound great, but, um, I sort of been down that road. And I'm not really interested in, 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 you know, putting that kind of money into something that I just know is probably not, I'm not going to see that, that money again. Describe your uh, recording studio to us aesthetically and functionally. Is it messy or neat and stuff like that? It is messy. And it's interesting that you asked that question because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a basically a bedroom. Well, there's no bed in here, but it's, it's a square room, uh, which isn't the best acoustically, but it's fairly untidy. I would say, I mean, things are all kind of in their place, but I remember when I started working from home, uh, I'm also a filmmaker and, and have been doing that for 10 years, also from the same studio. So I have all my um, hard drives and, and uh, everything I need to do. That work is also in the studio along with my drums and guitars. And I remember when I first set up my little studio area, I made it very clean with lots of clean lines and lots of clean surfaces. <laughs> and I was like, this is what I really need. And uh, and then I just remember just not feeling comfortable with that. And, um, I really, uh, one of my heroes is, is Ray Bradbury. I, I love reading his stuff and I love hearing his talks and reading about him. But I remember just coming across this picture of his office online and it was just, you know, little toys and stuff his kids had made him and just stuff everywhere and he was like this is how I work like I can just look around this room and find something to get inspired by and I have to say like the whole having a perfectly you know clean space and all that that's just not really me like I've got to have all my little Star Wars figures out and all the little clay projects my kids have made for me and uh, just random stuff um, monster movies old monster movies you know it's not that there's just stuff all over the floor and you can't walk or anything, but it is not super tidy, clean. Um, you know, it's not like a page of, uh, out of crate and barrel a catalog or something like that. It's a very personal space. Get about 
as much as we hear that the average person doesn't pay attention to lyrics, which may be an exaggeration anyway, do you find that when you play a song for someone in person, the lyric plays a bigger factor in their response to it? Yeah, at live shows. Um, usually when I play live, I play with a, a pretty loud band, and, and sometimes it's hard to, to discern lyrics in a little club where there's, you know, the guitars and drums and everything is sort of overpowering it. But yeah, I have had people come up after shows and, and ask me, you know, what's the song you played about this? And, and uh, you know, wanting to find that particular album uh, and that particular song, you know. Um, but for me, I think, I think for my music, and, and I don't play acoustic live very often. I think in those instances, you can hear the, the lyrics a lot clearer. Um, when I do, when I do that, I, I usually play with um, my son, Asher, who's 21 and has had his own band now for a while, but he and I harmonize really well together. And I like that because people can actually hear the words, but generally when I'm, since, since when I'm playing live, I'm typically playing with a really loud band. Um, I would say that more people are probably getting my lyrics listening to the recorded music than are live, but not always. Okay, so let's get into some of your music. Um, 2008, you released Pop Monster. Yes. There's a lot of great songs on here. I like Little Things. Say a little prayer, take a walk with me, don't dwell on the little things. You don't have control, you don't have to think, don't dwell on the little Lost My Friend has a lot of space between the notes and great bass. Thank you. I lost my friend, his girlfriend always resented me. I don't know why, but he And also the bass harmony on Reason With You is sweet. No one can reason with you It's all treason to you You got your mind made up now Bury the thing that is just now No one can reason with you, no No one can reason with you Yeah, um, well, about bass parts. Bass is the last thing, typically. I mean, unless the song really, really requires the bass line for me to lay in other parts. Bass is the last thing. Wow. It's after most of the vocals. And, and I just, and I think I heard somewhere, this may not be true, that that's the way McCartney does it. I don't know if that's true. That may be. I think it is. I think he used to sit in the studio after everybody was gone and do it. Yeah, but I really enjoy that. I really like laying it in last and thinking, because there's so many different directions you can go with the bass line. And I'm um, trying to support what's there and also do something interesting. So that's um, probably, I try to make my bass lines interesting. I don't get a lot of comments on them, but um, 
when I listen back to some stuff, I try not to just, you know, do sort of the predictable thing there and, and just really listen. And I'm a huge Chris Squire fan, you know, mm-hmm. just such a, a incredible player and such a creative player and the choices that he made. Um, even if you don't like prog music, you know, it's just like you can't listen to that early guest stuff and not notice how genius the bass lines are. Mm-hmm. So I'd say he's a he's a big influence as far as just trying to think, you know, about what note to play and try different things. And some things don't work. Um, Boss, my friend, I think was one of the last songs that I did for that record. And I remember um it just kind of, I wrote it and recorded it like in the same evening. My family was out of the house and I just set up a really basic kit, drum kit. And um, I think I used one mic. I used one mic on the drums on several songs on Pop Monster. And that, that was one of them. It did just, I did the whole thing in about you know, three or four hours. And that that's kind of what's on the record. I might have added a few extra things later on, but uh, that's my favorite type of song is just something that I wrote and it was I've wrote it and thought wow this is really cool and then in three or four hours it's recorded and you know a year later you listen back and you're like wow that, that was actually it actually came out pretty good um that's a rare thing it's weird you know you, you spend weeks or months working on one thing and then this other thing just comes out of nowhere and it's better in 2009, you released Pete, and How Do You Do It has some really nice choral vocals and a big melody, and it's what I really love about it. departure i think style wise and and it's probably that kind of sound is is not as comfortable in my wheelhouse i i like to do it but um you know people who are well there's a couple of people in particular who responded kind of negatively to that kind of thing and just kind of was like oh that's not really your thing like you shouldn't do that you know i don't get that no, I don't either. I, I don't understand that either. But those kind of comments do kind of stick with you as opposed to someone giving you a, a compliment, you know, a positive compliment. I bought 32 of your songs right off the bat just by sampling them. And I said, I didn't say, here he went this way and here he went that way. I said, it's your voice on all of them. Mm-hmm. It's your thoughts on all of them. Yes. It's your playing on most of them. Yes. So it's you. Right, right. I just accepted it for what it was. Yeah. Well, that song in particular is, is very much driven by the bass line. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the whole, you know, and it's just really that just repeating bass line throughout the entire tune with a couple of pauses. Um, but I enjoy that sound, that, that kind of, I don't know what you would call it, almost a Motown-influenced sound, mm-hmm. even though, you know, I'm a very, very white dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I like how that one came out. 2010, you had Blue Ocean Sky, 
Yeah. And you, uh, you did a nice, not sappy Christmas song. <laughs> I, don't, I don't reach for Christmas songs to listen to, but I like that one. I have to say, I'm, I'm sort of in agreement with you. I don't really care for um, Christmas songs by pop bands. And, you know, I think it's a tricky thing to take some of those songs and make them work. Well, it's just hard to make them broad. Um, stylistically if you're trying to do like a, a rock thing so i've i've toyed with the idea of a christmas album but i've just never quite been able to to get it together and and certainly wouldn't be necessarily a power pop album but that song was uh, kind of like a poem that i'd written that i used to just joke around and say to my kids thought i'd try to put it to music and i needed another song for blue ocean sky which was an album that i had sort of tried to do um what what we were talking about before blue ocean sky was i spent you know a week or two trying to come up with this long piece of music and um about a week into it realized i really didn't have anything um and so i sort of put it away and that was in like august and then um i'd had a couple of other songs and then over the next few months you know wrote a few other things and and uh around December just decided, well, I'm just going to put this Christmas song on here and I'm going to release this album. So I feel like it, you know, I don't know, some of my albums hang together, the songs on there hang together a little more than others. Blue Ocean Sky feels a little bit like um, all over the place to me, but I don't, it probably doesn't feel that way to other people, but that's just the memory I have of it. I love it. I love the title. I don't want the same things. When I discovered your album from 2011, Monster Suit, mm -hmm. I was kind of um, confused because, and I'll tell mm -hmm. you, you're going to laugh because why I'm saying I was confused. I started listening to the songs. I had no idea you were a filmmaker. I had no idea that you made a film for this. And it said it's from a movie. These are, this is a movie soundtrack, quote unquote. And all these songs are like pop songs that you just want to listen to. Not like, yeah. I'm not talking about like, when they take a soundtrack and put a bunch of hit songs on it that are already hit songs and right. soundtrack. I'm talking right. about, you wrote these songs with the idea of them being on monster suit, but you've got a movie called giant monster. Pla I'm like, this is just boggling my mind. So <laughs> then I listen, then I watched the movie, which is online. Anybody can see it and it's mm -hmm. gorgeous and wonderful. And your kids are really good actors. They did a great job. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say that, the movie really came first before mm -hmm. and, and truly, you know, in thinking about the film and what, what we needed, um, 
we needed songs and we needed we needed like songs to be playing in the background in a music store we needed the kid to be having headphones on and listening to some really loud rock and roll we needed and we needed cues you know like and and i wasn't quite sure that you know cues music cues played with guitars and bass and stuff really detuned i wasn't sure that was going to work i thought it might turn out cheesy but it actually turned out pretty cool and then um you know by the end of that film i probably had you know five or six things that i felt well you know i'm going to put this out as and and write i had a few other songs that I hadn't yet recorded so um it you know the fact that the, the two are connected was really something that um I found uh, as I was releasing the song on CD Baby and other places, the fact that it it had film music on it, uh, there was that category that they wanted to put on it of soundtrack. And I was like, well, okay, whatever. Sure, it's a soundtrack, you know? And and I thought that would be kind of fun. But you wouldn't watch the movie and say, here's where this song plays and here's where this song... But but they're hit sounding. I mean, Reason to Smile and Hero and The Last Time, Mm -hmm. they're great songs. Yeah. Just standalone songs. Yeah, and and there's multiple songs on that album that aren't in the movie at all, but but all the music from the film is is on that album. movies and I, I think i heard you say correct me if i'm wrong you go to superhero movies because your kids like them that's true you know i was never really a comic book kid and and this is sort of a thing that i find that's different from me and a lot of guys uh my age who love those movies and i and, and to be you know frank i mean a lot of the guys that i know who, who love those movies are are sick of them like I yes <laughs> but but you know all that to say like i just judge a movie on the movie itself you know i mean i don't i don't really go in thinking oh, i'm gonna hate this i mean i love spider-man uh homeland uh, i thought it was just really fun fantastic and um i forget the uh, avengers movie that everyone just hated so much i thought it was pretty cool um the, it wasn't the very last one perhaps it was the one right before i can't i get all these titles uh confused well i think getting into whether we like or dislike something kind of gets it's like when you make lists of your favorite songs by the beatles it's like and you have to number them in order i don't think that's the answer i think there's good stuff on even a bad star trek uh, episode you'll find good things in it sure uh you're in that world so you like it i would say that um so some of those superhero movies start to feel like the same movie yes they're very formulaic and they're written by committee right right and uh, I think they're exciting. I think they're fun. But I just, at some point on some of them, not all of them, I just kind of get lost, you know? <laughs> here's, my, here's where I was going with that. So they're written by committee, as are most of the recent pop songs. If, uh, I read an article that the average number of writers on a song now in the top 10 is nine. That's so crazy. And, and, and your entire process as a songwriter is a solo effort. And, you know, so mm-hmm. is mine. So I, maybe that's why we don't, you know, find them like they're not our style in a way. 
I do think that um, there are people who make a lot of progress and, you know, get a lot out of, of co-writing. Now, I have done my share of co-writing because I'm in the Nashville area, and that's just what people do here. But more often than not, I find, you know, I'm getting together with someone and we come up with a lot of really neat ideas, and then no one really ever does anything with any of it. And um, I'm always open to it, but I don't think that that it's something that comes very natural for me. Now, I have other songwriter friends who they love to write that way and they've written great stuff, you know, have with, with several other writers in the room. But, you know, what you find even in those instances is one person kind of takes the reins and, and drives, you know, the narrative of the song or the direction that you're going. Everyone else ends up kind of trying to contribute little things on the way. So I remember I heard Tom Petty, he was asked about co-writing. I think this was in a guitar player magazine interview from years back. And they were just like, do you ever co-write? And he was like, well, you mean like they do in Nashville? Nah, I could never do that. And just sort of dismissed it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's necessarily a a negative, um, but I do have to say like the co-writes that I have done have never been super fruitful. Great. 2013 pop motion animation. I want to call out one particular song, which is playing along. Um, Great lyric and you know, when people are Thank really, you. really good at music and music is their big thing, you don't always think of them as great lyricists. But I love that your lyrics never stand out to me as being tacked on. You, In one of the earliest lines of this song, you say, she never talks about meaningful things like what she believes in. Now, that's gigantic. I mean, to put that mm-hmm. in so early and have it just, it's like a bomb dropping. Leaves cover the path where we used to walk And now whenever we go there She never talks about meaningful things Like what she believes in I'm beginning to think that I've been deceiving myself The only thing worse than the change is the She's known all along The only thing worse than the change Is the feeling I've only been played And she's been played Yeah, that song, I I loved that song And I, it was sort of one of the ones that I was really enamored with when I made that record because it I felt it had a lot of personal meaning for me like just about you know past relationships and things like that and uh yeah no one ever really commented on it until this interview (laughs) (laughs) but it just I, I like the way it turned out for a lot of reasons it is sort of about uh, being in a relationship and, and just kind of having the suspicion that you're just kind of being played, you know, and that you're there for a sort of convenience. And I think we've all been in those relationships, either in friendships or in, you know, romantic relationships. So I was sort of exploring that, that idea. And, and uh, it was a weird little song um, and sort of, I tried to give it kind of a paranoia um, just in the way that it sounds and, and the way that it's, sung and in the strange little guitar solos and feedback and things. So appreciate you uh, commenting on it. 
In 2015, you had an album called Fanboy, which included a song called New Beginning. And to my ears, this has a lot of Matthew Sweet-style guitar in it. You covered Not When I Need It for the Matthew Sweet Tribute album called Altered Sweet. Mm-hmm. This is a nice song, New Beginnings. got more stops and changing time signatures and stuff. Uh, anything about that you'd like to call attention to? Just that the guitar riff is, is extremely, the main riff of the song is a difficult one to play and make feel good. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to work on it quite a bit to get it to, to feel loose and, and nice and um and it's just one of those things that that's how it kind of came to me with all those weird stops and, and starts. And I thought it um, had kind of a really nice um, joy about it, like a joyfulness that, that I thought was immediately when I wrote it, I was like, this is the first song on the album. I was kind of pleased that it, it had a nice uh, just kind of positive pop song kind of vibe to it after we, after we finished it. We had trouble on, on the drums on Fanboy and the stuff that Dave played on just with miking them. We could never quite place the mics in a way that would, the cymbals were just so loud on all those songs. And David Sprouse played drums on that song and several others on Fanboy. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just kind of noisy, noisy drum sound, which, you know, I guess it's rock and roll. There's nothing, nothing really wrong with it. But, um, again, I'm a big fan of trying to use as few mics as possible to, to capture drums and, and um, try to let them take up less space, you know, in, in the mix. Um, and, and that's a tough thing to do sometimes when you got, you know, a drummer who loves to hit the cymbals and hit them hard and, mm-hmm. you know, but he, he, he was great on that song. And I, I love the way he played on, on the songs he played on. I'm Galileo from fanboy and also more like you, from pop motion animation. I had a thought in my head that this is a Foo Fighters song, but I would want to hear more than once for two reasons or three reasons, Mm. because it's better than most of their material because it's not mastered at the peak of saturation. Mm -hmm. And because although I like the way Dave Grohl carries himself as a human being, I think the music's pretentious. Mm. Yours is anything but. Well, thank you for that compliment. Um, Galileo, I would say was sort of like, the heart of that album. I always feel like there's kind of one song on every album that's sort of the heart mm-hmm. of it, like the deep, the deep kind of soul of the album. And then there's one song that's a total surprise. Mm-hmm. And um, Galileo is that sentimental heart for me of, of that album. I guess there's nothing left to say That's what Are the heavens looking down, or are they just there? 
I think that's the song that made me say I'm going to make a record now when I wrote that. I think, you know, having involving other musicians does affect the outcome. And if you, the more brains you have on something like when you're performing, it, it has a different feel than one guy doing it. And in that case, I think it's, it's like a, a better, more live band kind of feel. And people do respond to that. Like it's, sometimes it's not the, the ability of the person playing. It's really just how they approach it. You know, that's different from the way you or I would approach it. And, it adds something um, that you can't really predict makes it interesting. In 2016, Guiding Star was the name of an album and a song. And on that song, I, I noticed that you had some nice guitar parts. And I love the way the major seventh chords feel fresh. They don't feel like they're used um, in a formulaic way. They're, they're put mm -hmm. next to other chords that I thought was a nice choice. <laughs> Actually, the, the entire thing, I think, was a, was a guitar piece that I'd come up with the year before and never really done anything with. And I always wanted to do something with it. And you know how that goes. You just kind of let those things sit there until one day the rest of it kind of comes to you. Mm -hmm. um, but Guiding Star is interesting in that I was not, I had no plans to make an album that summer and, you know, just kind of had random stuff that I was working on, random songs. And then all of a sudden it was like the faucets turned on and then and, and mm. all these kind of ideas started coming to me. And I made that album very quickly. So I, I like that song as well. And incidentally, let me think, am I making this up? I think I used the same drum track on Guiding Star that is on Innocent Breakdown. Mm. It's literally the same drums. I just edited it a little bit. Ah. On 2018's A Few Seconds of Fame, there's just a lot of songs to like. I, I think it's possibly your best album. She's stuck in a twirl On top of the world for only a minute She's trying to tame A few seconds of fame while keeping its pain Cave Days, um, I'm not going to be the first person to bring up the word pterodactyl, which you managed <laughs> to get in the lyric. I know other people have talked about it, but um, what puts you in the mindset for that lyric or what put that idea in your head? You know, that's one of those songs that, um, you know, after I wrote it, I was like, there's people who are really going to hate this song. <laughs> oh, no, it's cinematic. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think just feeling like, of this guy sort of fighting to survive. And I don't know. I, I think a lot about just how divided America is mm -hmm. right now and, and uh, just 
all these conversations that go on on Facebook all the time and people just ranting and raving and you, you sort of get to the point sometimes you feel like you're you're like that guy you're kind of like you know just hold up in your cave and just trying to survive and not in the same way obviously but um I think it was just that that feeling of um you know wanting to just kind of survive and and go on to the next day and fight whatever monsters come along but also this other idea of just loving old um movies like uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and um, uh, Clash of the Titans and movies that uh, Ray Harryhausen, who's a famous animator, loving those ideas of of cavemen and dinosaurs, even though it's scientifically, obviously it's not, probably not true, but I I just love that idea and kind of wanted to go against the grain and write this thing about a caveman, you know, just surviving with his family and fighting off T-Rexes every day and, um, and, and sort of, uh, you know, preserving the narrative of all that on a wall and and drawing and, and writing, you know, drawing pictures of it to sort of preserve this, this idea of his life. the fact that there's so many six four measures in it uh, time signature measures in it um they fit nicely and you wrote it in like five minutes um and you said that your uh, wife and kids didn't like it that much at first <laughs> it's interesting playing stuff for your, your family and your mm-hmm. loved ones i mean everybody's different every, every everybody's a little bit different personality and you have some people that you feel like are telling you what you want to hear and then Others are just brutally honest mm-hmm. and um, they just didn't have much of a reaction to it. Although my younger children uh, have a five-year-old who, who loves that song and is always asking for it, you know, for me to play him the, the little video with the, the lyrics and stuff on it. So, um, yeah, I think it just appeals to, to different people. But as I remember, you know, it definitely was, an important song for that record. Like, you know, it's kind of one of those songs, like I was talking about before where I wrote it and I was like, I have to release this. So I have to make an album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to write a bunch of other songs now to go with this song. Planet Earth was kind of the same way. It was, it was just one of the early songs from that album that came to me and it got me up in the middle of the night, which is not, not something that happens very often, but I woke up and had this song on my head, couldn't sleep. So I just came up and very quietly played it on an acoustic guitar and wrote wrote the lyrics down on a legal pad and some of the arranging and stuff later.
yourself another lie Convince yourself it's do or die I like that on retread, it sounds like the time signature changes, but it doesn't. It's just 4-4. It's just the way right. it feels with the chord, chord, chord and the space between. very nice thanks yeah so that was a fun one i like the way that one turned out and then the real you is six eight but some of it's picked and some of it's strummed instead of just the whole thing being strummed and that six eight jing, 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 jing. and you've got these three beat moving bass notes that keep you from concentrating on that too much because they work together I think I'd had that that song for a while and just didn't really know what to do with it. Sometimes sometimes I write these little acoustic things that I don't feel quite fit with some of my other stuff. But um, again, I just I don't really worry about that on a on an album. I just kind of and I think a lot of artists are, are like that these days. Used to I feel like the genres and things were much more tightly drawn as far as. Uh, what artists release, but I think we've, I mean, there are definitely places and genres where that's still the case, but if you look at a band like Wilco, there's just so much stuff there. Uh, categorically, it's just a lot of different ideas on their records, and I like that. Uh, I, I, I sort of like to do that on my records. Not intentionally, I just like the idea of being able to write whatever's coming in a lot of different you know, sort of feels and, and genre nods, if you will, even if they're not specific genres, and then put them all into this one album. Well, what's next for you? What's going on in the near future? Well, um, you know, I had really wanted to put another band together and, and start, you know, playing some shows after um, a few seconds of fame, but other, other things have just kind of interfered. Um, uh, just, you know, 
I'm, I'm actually working on another short film right now. And I've done a couple of, um, I did the, the FTC tribute this year and that's, that I think is being mastered right now. So that should be out pretty soon. Can't wait. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, but probably, I don't, I don't think I, I'm not going to do another album, uh, this year. Uh, it'll, it'll probably be, be next year. Um, until I do that. But I guess my focus is sort of to, um, you know, once I kind of get this, this film that I'm working on done. And I, again, I'm, I'm really looking, looking towards uh, trying to get out and play some shows uh, here in the area and then regionally. Great. Now, if you ever get near Detroit, let me know. Oh man, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Touring is such a hard thing. It's just, that's, that's kind of the part of, you know, being an independent musician that has not really changed. It's still kind of crucial to do it and it's still very expensive. So it's just, uh, it's a hard nut to crack and you kind of have to be super creative. Um, I'm seeing like my kids bands who, who tour pretty, pretty regularly and they're, you know, somewhat well known in their own circles, but they just get out and do it and they play in people's houses and they just play anywhere. And, um, I don't know if they're running up their dad's credit cards or how they're paying for it, but (laughs) (laughs) there was a time when I would do that, but I have to be a little more responsible. Well, Greg Pope, thanks so much. It's been a blast talking with you. Likewise, Dave. I really appreciate you having me on. One thing I really noticed uh, listening to some of your other podcasts is just the quality uh, is so great. So I'm kind of honored to be, be on your show. So thank you. You've been listening to Songwriter Stories, Episode 12 with Greg Pope. There's more to this podcast than just the interview. For bonus content, visit songwriterstories.com and click on the Writer's Room for this episode. If you like the podcast, consider giving us a review at Apple Podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Dave Caruso, and I'll see you next time.